you guys. <laughs> I love you too. Uh, you guys are awesome. Oh man. Okay, all right. You know, to say that I missed you would be the understatement of the year. Um, which, um, not um, surprisingly, I'm going to be talking about tonight. I'm going to be talking about why I missed you so much. Becky and I were with you every weekend online, um, saw the, the, the services, wonderful preaching Pastor Jeff and Pastor Matt did. It was terrific. Um, I loved, I got taught by them. It was, it was terrific. But I got to tell you, um, we didn't tune in for the preaching. I, I know some of the greatest preachers in the world, and I didn't tune in to them. I, I want to be with you because I missed you. I'm a, this is my family. And, and, and it's not um, lost on me that the Lord would bring to our mind these scriptures in Hebrews chapter 10 that speak specifically to that dynamic. Let me, let me give you the background. I want to take you just a little bit deeper. Pastor Matt did a great job last week. I want to take you a little bit deeper into this passage this week. I want you to remember why and to whom the book of Hebrews was written. It was written to second generation Christians. That is to say, all of them had come out of the Jewish faith. That's why the book's called Hebrews. Hebrews is another word for Jew. Now, if you know anything about Judaism, the strongest component of Judaism is its sense of community. It's not its theology. You can be um, a, an atheist and be a Jew. There are many atheists who are Jews. Jews who are atheists. It's, it's not exactly what you believe. It's your tradition. It's your ethnic. It's your bloodline. And it is your identity as a people. And so what it cost to believe in Jesus Christ was to be ostracized from the very group that had been their identity. And by the second generation, they're beginning to wonder, was it worth it? I know what I believe is true, but was it worth it? They began to waver in their faith and in their hope. And so the writer of Hebrews said, this is what I want you to do. He explains this wonderful theology so that they can understand how God has been leading all through the, the traditions of the Hebrews to get to the high priest who is Jesus. But he says, I want you to create a community that is so close that it becomes your identity. That's what I want you to do. Therefore, in this passage, in verses 22, 23, and 24, starts out with the same phrase, let us. Let me, let me just read it for you. And I want you, to, I want you to keep some of these words in mind. Verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. I want you to remember that word. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us 
hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. I want you to see something in the structure of this passage. You remember from 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it said, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, you remember that passage, don't you? This passage is an extension of that with an addendum. And the addendum is, you will never keep your faith. You will never keep your hope. You won't know what love is unless you do it together. All of us need the community that will sustain us. I don't care how strong you think your faith is. You cannot do it without an encouraging group around you who knows you, who loves you. Therefore, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And I don't want it just to be your group. I want it to be who you are. Can I, can I tell you something that always kind of irritated me about my wife? Now, you never thought you'd hear those words come out of my mouth, did you? No. Well, you won't be surprised by the ending of this, but I want to tell you the beginning now that I've got your attention. If you ask my wife, tell me about yourself, she'll go on for 20 minutes and never mention herself. I mean, I've seen this again and again. I've seen it in personal conversations. I've seen her interviewed. For three years, she was the president of the Global Pastors Wives Network. Huge. She, she traveled to so many different countries, speaking to pastors' wives and being interviewed. And they would say, tell us about yourself. Who are you? And this is what she'd say. She'd say, well, I was born in this fantastic family. My dad was the middle school principal in our town, very respected man. And my mom was a nurse, uh, and then she turned into a fourth grade teacher. She, and she, her students loved her. She engaged these kids. And now I'm married to this wonderful man. We have this wonderful church, and I have these wonderful sons, wonderful grandchildren. And she'd go on and on and on and on. Never mentioning herself. One day I said to her, do you realize that when you're, when you're asked about yourself, you never answer the question? And she gave me one of those little, <laughs> and when, when, my wife, when my wife does that, it doesn't mean I'm embarrassed. It means you'll understand someday. You'll catch up. And I finally caught up. What my wife has been saying all of these years is my identity is indivisible from the people who have loved me and I have loved so intimately and so deeply. I can't speak of myself without them. You know, Pastor Matt was talking about being made in the image of God. You remember the mirrors? You know, I love the props. Man, I got to get some props. But Pastor Matt talked about representing who God is. You understand who God is? God is a relationship. God is not just a single entity. 
It is not good that the man should be alone. That's what he said when he first made Adam. Why? Not just because he needed Eve, but because that was not the fullness of his image. We're not the fullness of God's image without people who are so close to us that we cannot define ourselves without them, without reference to them. Think of the Godhead just for a moment. You can't define the Father. You can't know who the Father is without the Son and the Spirit. You can't do it. You can't know who the Son is without the Father and the Spirit. You can't know who the Spirit is without the, the Son and the Father. You can't do it. Indivisible. They, they are integrated. Now, what did he made, make us for? He made us for relationships that are so close that they are who we are. And we could not do without them. There are different realms of relationships all of us have. I, I, I understand that. I understand that. There's, there's the them. We've been talking about the them. The them are all those who aren't close to us and they're not in our group. Now, how do we feel about them? We love them. Why? Because God does. God so loved the world. Cosmos. It's the Greek word. All, the whole world. He loves them just as much as he loves us. So we treat them with love. The same we, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's what the Bible says. And it doesn't matter how close we are to our neighbor, whether he agrees with us, whether he's like us, whether he believes like we do, it doesn't matter. We love them as we love ourselves. That's who God is. But they're not indivisible from us. Then there's people of our group. Last Wednesday, I, was, I went down to First Baptist. First Baptist uh, just opened up their new sanctuary, this, uh, their, their renovated sanctuary this weekend. And uh, I celebrated with them. I, saw, I love that congregation. I love that pastor. And Pastor David Youth is a good friend of mine. And so he called some of the Christian leadership of the city down and said, I want you to pray. I want you to consecrate this, this sanctuary of ours because it's not just about First Baptist. It's about the spiritual leadership of the city. And so, you know, we all got together. And these are my good friends, you know. David Swanson from First Pres and Bishop uh, Wiggins from Hope Chapel. And, you know, all, that's, a, that's, my, that's my peeps. This is my posse. I, I have no idea what I'm saying here. But, <laughs> but I love Pastor David. And I was so honored just to kneel at the altar and help him dedicate that sanctuary. But you know what? Before I loved Pastor David, I loved Pastor Jim. I still love Pastor Jim. He's still a very close friend of mine. He helped, by the way, dedicate the sanctuary. And if I outlast Pastor David, I'll love the next pastor at First Baptist. They are not irreplaceable. They are loved in sequence and they're loved deep, deeply in sequence. But when I think of people like Tim and Vernon, I can't picture my life without them. They're part of who I am. They're part of how I walk daily. They're not replaceable. If anything ever happened to my wife, if someone would come up and say, well, I'm sure you'll love again. There's other women. I, you know, I'd go all around to Rousey on them, right, right there. I know when I'm a pastor, but it, the point is that God wants us to have 
some relationships that are so close to us, they are us. In Proverbs, Proverbs 17, 17, it has this verse. I love this verse. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know how you forge that kind of relationship? You do life together. That relationship doesn't come because you work on it or you know what you're doing or you just decide you're going to get closer to somebody that then you're going to get closer. You walk together through life. You and I have been through a lot together. And we got miles to go before we sleep. But we've been get together for so long that I can't define myself without you. I can't. I, I, I go to different parts of the world, different parts of the country, they say, are you a pastor? And I used to say, yeah. But now, that's not really true. Because I'm not a pastor in general. I'm your pastor. You're my people. And I'm not a pastor without you. Because you're a part of who I am. We could talk about our general love of people and how that resembles God. But as soon as you do that, you find yourself not making the kind of distinction, the kind of particular relationship that God ultimately wants you to build so that you can take care of all the rest of the relationships. It says in Proverbs chapter 18, 24, it says, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. You know what that means? If you have all kinds of friends, you're trying to please them all. You're just trying, you're just trying to kind of go along with the crowd, you know? Just because you, you want everybody's approval. And so that's, that's kind of how you live your life. And you will ultimately ruin your life by trying to gain the approval you'll never get. And trying to gain the, the, the kind of, of, of trust you'll never have. And, and gain the kind of intimacy that never comes in general. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I want us all to understand as we go into the future, and this is my great goal of going into the future, that Christianity is not about getting better. It's about getting closer. There's a great friend and counselor who goes here. His name is Roger Shepard. And I heard him say that one time to a gathering of elders. It's not about getting better. I know a lot of people come to the Lord because they, 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 they want their life to get better. They've got a problem and they want God to solve it. And you know what? God loves to hear our need. He does. I mean, what parent is there among us that doesn't want their kid to come to them when they're in need and say, Daddy, help. Mama, can you help me? I mean, that's, that's what a parent does. That's what, we love that. God loves that. But we've got to understand that's not what the body's about. That's not what the church is about. If God is a God of love, the church is about closeness, not about improvement. 
I heard this story once, and I don't know if it's true. If it's not, it ought to be. But it was about this guy from Scotland. You know, Scotland is the, is the, is the birthplace of golf. Some of you know that. And uh, I want to go over to St. Andrews someday. That just, that just looks like an awesome place to... But, but around its birth time, there was, a, there was a, a Scottish golfer who came over the U.S. to kind of share the sport. And somehow he got an audience with the President of the United States, Ulysses S. Grant at the time. And so he, he thought, well, rather than explain a sport, you can't explain a sport, you've got to show a sport. You know, it's just... So he took him out and he put a golf ball down. And he lined up with the golf club. And he was so nervous. I mean, this is the President of the United States. President of the United States is standing right there. And he pulled back with a mighty swing and went down, totally missed the ball. Hit the dirt, sprayed the dirt over everyone standing near, including the President of the United States. Well, now he's even more nervous. He can't quit now. So he comes back and he tries even harder with the exact same result. Hits the dirt, sprays the dirt on the President of the United States. Finally, Grant says, you know, this sport seems to have some good exercise connected to it. I just don't get the purpose of the ball. I heard that story and I thought of the church. There's so many people in the church that are trying so hard. You know, they're just giving it all they got and they're nervous, you know, that they won't be good enough and all of this kind of stuff. They miss the point. The, the, the point is the church. The point is we're together. The point is that we stay together. The point is that we walk together. The point is that we can rely upon one another. The, this isn't a behavior modification program. It's not. Will our behavior include it? Hope so, because when we sin, it just messes us up. It just does. But how do we stop sinning? By trying harder? No. Anybody who watches or listens to surveys knows that they get general, general information from surveys. And I don't, I don't watch a lot of political surveys, but I watch a lot of surveys about the church. There are certain organizations, Barna and other organizations, that do surveys on, on, on the church in general. So not too many years ago, Barna did a survey uh, just on... on Christians in general and, and the culture in general and, and, and rated the incidence of certain failures in life, the number of addictions, the number of divorces, the number of, you know, you, you name it, you know, and, 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 and was looking for the difference between the Christians and the culture. Guess what? There weren't any. For the people who called themselves Christians, the people who were well, of course I'm a Christian. There was no difference between those folks and the culture in general. However, if you looked closer, there was a distinct difference 
between Christians who regularly attended church and the rest of the culture. There was a distinct difference between those who did not forsake the assembling of themselves together. Their lives were very different. Why? Because that's how God made us. None of us can sustain self-improvement. We are creatures that need voices around us that will encourage us, that will admonish us, that will remind us who we are and who God is in us. This is a different organization than any organization has ever been, ever been in existence. There's a supernatural ingredient here. Do you remember, do you remember what happened when Jesus walked into the room, this locked in little huddled mass of fearful followers after he had been crucified and resurrected and he just appears in the room. Remember this? He goes up to his disciples. This is in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Goes up to his disciples. It says, so Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. No, 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 stop right here. Remember the word peace, shalom. In the world, peace means absence of conflict. But remember Jesus in John 14 said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Remember that? This is a different kind of peace. This is a wholeness. In other words, I've got something to make you whole without which you will never be whole. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so also I send you. I also send you. And when he had sent this, sent this, said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. All the difference in the world. You remember in Genesis how God made the first man, the physical man, Adam, gathered up the dust, breathed on him. Ruach, the, the Hebrew spirit. How do you make the next man, the, 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 man, the eternal man? Breathed on them the Holy Spirit. It's a whole new deal. It's not just an improvement of the first. It's a whole new deal. This is a whole new community with supernatural power. And I want everyone to be able to be contagious with each other with that power. You know, we were driving down the, the, the road the other day and uh, Becky, when I drive, just stays on her phone the whole time. Just goes through Facebook and Pinterest and all these things. I've never even seen these sites. And she just, because I don't have to, because she reads them all to me. She just, and she started laughing. I said, what are you laughing about? She said, listen to this very cool quote from Henry Ford. You remember who Henry Ford is? Manufacturer, the first mass manufacturer of the automobile. And apparently, they had asked Henry Ford if the, he had gotten the idea to build the automobile from his customers. <laughs> and Henry Ford said, and this is the quote, if I had asked my customers what they wanted, they would have all said a faster horse. Now watch. 
We don't just need better behavior. We just, 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 just don't just need an improved version of what we've got in us right now. We need something completely different. It's connected. You still talk about the power of an automobile, but how many horsepower it is. But it's something distinctly different. I want you to understand the church is something distinctly different because we have the power and the spirit of Almighty God. But it doesn't do you any good unless you are around those who you can catch it from, who you can feel the transfer of that power from. And that's what's so important to remember. We need each other. Without each other, we will fail. We need to encourage one another. You know, one of the greatest, I, I may have this written on my tombstone, I don't know, but it was, it was uh, uh, what Eliphaz said to Job while he was admonishing him. But he said this to Job one time. He said, your words, this is Job 4.4, your words have helped the tottering stand. You have strengthened feeble knees. Isn't that a great attribute? We need to spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's our job, but that's our need. It's not just a job. It's a need that all of us have and all of us need to hear. If you believe the culture, you will have a completely wrong idea about how you find out who you are. About how you find out what your purpose is in this world. It's exactly the opposite of what scripture tells you. Because the world says you find out by self-examination. You find out by contemplation, by digging down deep within and, 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 and then as you find out who you are and you get to love yourself and then you can love other people. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, first of all, you've got an enemy who's trying to separate you from everybody else in the first place. That's his strategy. That's the strategy of the devil. Always has been. He wants you to doubt God, he wants you to doubt each other, and he wants you to be, be di divided from each other. He wants you to self-isolate. If he can get you alone, he can take you out. That's been his strategy from the Garden of Eden. Remember that. God's strategy is exactly the opposite, by the way. Becky and I go to a lot of movies, and, uh, and I'm one of those guys that if the movie starts at 1.30, I want to be there at 1.30. You know, just, I'm just weird like that. And what, what that does is it makes you sit through a lot of previews. And, and, and they've, got a, they've got a new um, X-Men or superhero movie or something like that. I love those superhero movies, man. We went to see, you know, Ant-Man. Awesome, awesome stuff. Um, um, who are those little Weeble guys, those little yellow guys? Huh? Minions, yeah, we saw the Minion movie, yeah. Um, 
you know, Mr. Holmes, but this, 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 this preview comes up and he's talking about this dastardly enemy. Ooh. And, and, he's, and this, this is what it says, ominously, he is stronger than any of us, but he is not stronger than all of us. I like that. You know why? That describes the devil. You try to fight the devil on your own, you're going down. Who doesn't know that? You know? I'll just, I'll just fix this myself. How's that working for you? No. But you have a community of people who love you, who you can't possibly define yourself without them. Then, he can't defeat you. One of the movies we saw, and I'll close with this, was a movie called Paper Towns. John Green, I think, wrote the book, and and uh, wasn't an especially good movie, but but it had a really interesting point. It was kind of a coming of age movie, you know, where this, the, uh, you know, kind of a Kevin and Winnie movie where a boy grows up with a really good looking girl across the street and the first time he sees her, falls in love with her. Boom, that's it. But they grow up in parallel universes because they're wired so differently and he's a safety first kind of guy, you know? He's a good student, he's straight as an arrow and, and, and just gets really uncomfortable doing anything wrong and, and she just lives on the edge, one toke over the line, you know, she just, and, and so they, 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 they grow up until their senior year and she shows up at his bedroom window, I think it's on the second floor, and says, I need your car. Well, he's not gonna give her, I mean, he's, but he gets in the car and drives her. She goes out and does a lot of boogerhead stuff. And he feels himself kind of coming alive, you know, in a way that he never had before, just kind of thrilled and even more attracted toward her than he had ever been. And finally, toward the close of the movie, he confesses his love to her. He said, I, I've loved you since I first saw you. And she wants to respond. You can tell she wants to respond. But honestly, she can't. She says, I, I can't love you because I don't know who I am. There it is. There's the lie of the world. You never figure out who you are without loving. You'll never know your purpose without loving. You'll never know what faith is until you love so much, you have to have faith when there's nothing that would give you faith. But you have to have it because you love that much. You'll never know what it is to really hope until there's absolutely no hope, but you've got to have it anyhow because you love someone so much, you've got to have that hope. And then you know what hope is. And you'll never know what love is 
until you don't matter in comparison with them. And that's what God wants for every one of us. Then you'll know who you are. Then you'll know why you were made. And then you'll be like God who gave up heaven to go through pain because that's what love is. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for giving us each other. Thank you that we, like you, have a people. We are sent for the benefit of all people. But we have a people. We are a people. We're not only your people. We're each other's. And so, help us to walk through life together. And over a period of time, give us relationships that are so important to us that we can't think of ourselves without thinking of them. We can't know how we're doing without knowing how they're doing. Give us that kind of love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for the benediction? Before I, before I give the benediction, let me, let me remind you what, what the options are after we leave this room. If you're in this room, those of you online have Bill Gary, or no, Robert Johnson is the online minister. He'd love to, to converse with you about any need you have or about getting connected where you are. We've got people around you, um, or will have. Um, remember, in the hub tonight, if you want to get connected, you can go there. But the focus is um, combating human trafficking. Um, and so if you want to get more on the upcoming 5K or what we're doing in that area, go there. Remember the red bus is here. Give some blood, will you? Every time we have communion, we reenact what Christ did for us. Christ shed his blood that we might have new life. Every time we have communion, we have the red bus out there so we can shed our blood that others might have new life. It's what Christ did. That's what we do. And then there's a prayer team up here. For those of you who want to pray about anything, every, everything from salvation to healing to I'm carrying this burden and I just need you to stand with me. This is your family. The Bible says bear one another's burdens. But whenever you leave tonight, let's go from here. Knowing the kind of relationships that God wants us to have. And let's determine to have that kind of sacred intimacy as we go into the future. If you don't have it now, that's why you're here, because we want to help you build it. And on the way, love people out there like you've been loved. Amen. I'll see you next week.